Well, Corpse, what did you think of the uh, Ken Shields episode? Absolute masterclass. Absolute masterclass. Leave yeah. there. Yeah, there were lots of moments in this one where we were kind of just staring at each other and just nodding our heads and um, learning more about ourselves as coaches as we listen to the greats before us um, talk about culture. And you can just um, hear in Ken's voice, you know, how much he cared about coaching those kids, but how little he cared about himself and his own ego, right? It was about everybody else. Um, had an interesting experience too because I think the funny part that people won't know is that at, at a, during this episode, uh, Coach had to go because he had a phone call. But I, it, it, you know, he was he was like 10, 15 minutes late for the phone call, and it just says a lot about his loyalty because he basically was willing to reconnect with us and finish the episode because he had committed to a phone call um, and didn't want to, you know, brush that person off. So super entertaining and like just phenomenal when you think about that and you won't even know when it happened and no one here but Corbs and I will um so it was funny but also powerful at the same time um an icon and a legend hope you enjoy this one too Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoops Journey. Um, as a coach and a fan of basketball in, in our country and province, um, Corbin as well, we're both sitting here thrilled and excited to uh, to be interviewing, you know, an, an icon in Canada. Uh, there is not a award or championship that this man has not been a part of or won. Um, created a culture and dynasty at the University of Victoria, a uh, member of the Canada Sports Hall of Fame. The list goes on and on. Um, when our St. Thomas More Knights beat the Rainmakers in the 2014 Provincial Final, he came up to me and just said, great job coaching, and he probably doesn't even remember it. Um, but I almost fell over because I felt like, wow, okay, I'm now in the coaching ranks because none other than Ken Shields gave me a compliment. So welcome to the show, and thanks for being with us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. Uh, if you beat the Rainmakers, you must have played well. Yes. Well, I know why you were there, and it wasn't to sport the Knights, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, I think... I think that was a weird year. Um, they had that was when they had Justin McChesney was in grade ten, and yeah. um, I just think by the time they made it to that final game, they were so tapped out. They like upset Fleetwood Park in the first round, and you know they they didn't even break forty in, against us in the final. But yes, we did, we did, we peaked at the right time and played well. So it was a it was a fun moment and a good time, and and you know an honor to uh, to battle like such a storied program. Um, how are things? How's life on the island these days? And, you know, obviously, you know, we're still in, unfortunately, in the heart of COVID, but, you know, the island life is uh, probably a good place to be and, you know, it's safe. So how are you and your family doing and, and what are you doing to keep yourself busy and occupied right now? Well, we're, we're uh, pretty well hunkered down like everybody else trying to avoid the virus. We're lucky to be on the island, you know, the Incidence of COVID is um, much less here than it is in the lower mainland, so we're very fortunate. Mm -hmm. So, and we have, uh, I have some basketball projects uh, ongoing that uh, I will talk about at a later time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're hanging in there. Good, good, good to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 
it's an interesting time and I think we're learning a lot about ourselves in a time like this and it's cool to hear someone like yourself who is still involved in the game and finding yourself busy, which is important. And, and um, it's good to hear that uh, you're doing well. My brother is now on the island as well. And we're looking forward to the next opportunity that we get to go over uh, and hop on the ferry and know that uh, we'll really enjoy those moments when we have them again. Right. Yeah. It's always fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thanks for being with us. We're, you know, like we talked about, really excited. I will tell you, Barnaby Craddock uh, has been on the show. He called me out on the show and said to get you on, um, not to put any pressure on me directly. But um, also, um, my dad was the store manager of Woodward's back in the day on the island. And I actually went to Willows Elementary, so I still have a few island connections. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know... Other than just your resume and who you are, there are still there are a lot of people who um, I know will be really excited to have you on. And um, let's yeah, hides of course, and just you know we've we've made it over our programs, made it over for the Gary Taylor tournament the last you know three or four years. So we've really enjoyed that, and and know that there's a great following on the island. Well, I grew up. Uh... I was born in northern Alberta in a place called Beaver Lodge between Dawson Creek and uh, Grand Prairie. Okay. And the first sporting event that I really went to was a hockey game with my, our family went in the snow and I was so excited I couldn't believe it because, <laughs> you know, we used to sit around and listen to Foster Hewitt on Saturday night. That was the big family uh, event. and. Then we moved to Southern Alberta, and I started playing hockey. And I took my skates to school and went right to the rink after school and skated till supper time. And then went home and ate, and then went back to the rink until I was able to, you know, uh, put a couple hours in and then go back uh, and sleep. And uh, so I was I was super keen on hockey. And in grade six, we moved to Massa. Oh, and there was no ice, <laughs> and I was like—I uh, mean, I was distraught. And the only sport to play was basketball, and the the, the league uh, was in the village, in the Hyde Village, in a hall that had two 45-gallon drums, uh, one on each side as heaters. They were red hot. <laughs> they had no guardrails around them. <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was uh, something else, and I, my first uh, coach was a Haida guy named Alex Jones, and and I enjoyed playing, and I you know I cheered for the senior teams, and you know I was fired up, mm. and um, and then um, we moved to Prince Rupert when I was in grade eleven, and I wasn't good enough to play for the Raymakers, not even close. I was the manager of the B team okay. <laughs> in high school. I wanted to be part of the program, but I wasn't good enough to play on the B team. Mm-hmm. I played in a 15-, 16-year-old league that they ran in the Civic Center called the Minor League. And if we, had had, if we hadn't had that Minor League in Prince Rupert, I would never have had a career in basketball. Wow. And uh, the next year, next for tryouts, I went to try out just just to play with the good players until I got cut. I had no even vision of making the team. Mm. 
And then one day I, you know, I, I hung around and hung around. Then one day I, I counted and I went, holy man, I have a shot here. <laughs> and the day that they posted the list, I'll never forget going to see the list and my name was on it. And I was, I was through the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, such happiness you can't even describe that I was going to be a rainmaker. And, yeah. and, and we had a, you know, we went to the BCs that year and we lost two in a row. And then uh, our coach retired, a guy named Don Hartwig. He was a, he was a very good coach. And, and Norm Vickery came. Mm. And uh, he just beat the crap out of us. I mean, we had a very, a very competitive team, and he, we trained as hard, uh, harder than any uh, college team or university team. You know, we ran after practice. We ran up this mountain behind uh, the school, piggyback guys up the mountain. I mean, it was, it was. I mean. I went home and I was I had eat and go to bed. I was so tired. And uh, anyway, we go we go down to the BCs and play Kamloops in the first game at the opening tap. They had beat the UBC JVs. Oh wow! And they were a big team. Mm -hmm. And one of them looked looked at us and said, "Maybe we should have started the second string." And I mean, we had the most competitive team, I think, that I ever played on. We had a great point guard, and Skip Cronk was our center, and he was tough. I mean, really tough. Dennis Rooney was another forward who was a street fighter, and he was tough. And uh, I made the starting five. And we, we beat Kamloops by 15, and then we beat McGee. Uh, in the last second and then we beat MEI in OT yeah and then we beat Abbotsford in the final nice in UBC in the record crowd biggest crowd ever to watch an indoor sporting event that's what I was going to ask so was that war hey was that war it memorial was war memorial yeah. there was no fire marshal <laughs> and it was jammed yeah I mean you couldn't put another foot person in there and that was an unbelievable thrill. The biggest thrill in my life still was winning that PC championship. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it taught me uh, the value of conditioning. Mm. It taught me the value of defense. And it taught me that you don't have to be from a big school. You don't have to be... Uh, you know, famous. Mm. You just have to have toughness. Mm -hmm. and you have to compete and uh, have a good have a good plan mm -hmm. and a, and a good coach. And uh, it, it, you know, uh, it 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 imprinted on me big mm -hmm. time. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. then I I went to Mount Royal College. And if I made the team, I got a scholarship, got free room and board and uh, tuition. And so I went there and took first year University of Alberta courses and and then transferred to the University of Calgary okay. and played two years there. 
So I had three different coaches there. I had two different high school coaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played forward at Mount Royal, and then I played guard, the guard position at Calgary for two years. Mm-hmm. And then I went to UBC. I transferred to UBC to take phys ed because I wanted to be a coach. Mm-hmm. And phys ed was the only way I thought I could study coaching and extrapolate information mm-hmm. to be coach, be a coach, and played for Peter Mullins. Um, and I started at center. <laughs> so, and I didn't, I didn't have a good time playing <laughs> at UBC. I can admit that. And I don't think Peter had a good time coaching me either. <laughs> but we became great friends after. Um, <laughs> And I, you know, I, I, so I was, I was really fortunate to mm. play all the positions. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting start. Hey, like just the amount of the amount of different coaching that you got, and the different positions, um, and that you know, just that whole you're getting the the broad spectrum. Um, I'm hearing a lot of similarities. You know, I, I'm feeling the same kind of vibe as as you. I want to touch on one thing though. How was it like when you returned home after winning that provincial championship? Because I, you know, mentioned in the show here that we played Rupert in the final and obviously have seen, you know, the support from the small communities. And I think unless you're a part of one, you really don't get it. Um, you know, Lady Smith was my graduation year when they went hot and Tony McCrory went crazy. He's a, one of my best friends. Randy um, Steele. Pardon me? Yeah, Randy Steele, right? One of the greatest human beings you'll ever come across. and One of the greatest point guards that I had. Yeah, right? Yeah. and Tough. tough. Yeah. I'm a guy who absolutely loved the game. Yeah. And, and was a competitor. Love it. And he was a gym rat and uh, loved to play. Yeah. I, I remember I would always go over to the island to visit Tone, and it was Sunday night ball, and we would go. Everybody we'd have dinner at the McCrory's, and we would go, and Randy would come in, and and Tony McCrory Senior, and turn the lights on, and we would play basketball for four or five hours. Sunday night ball was the thing, right? And and those were fun memories. But how was it when you guys landed back, or when you took the bus back, or whatever? However, you got back to back. Rupert. We flew back. <laughs> yeah. And they had a civic parade. Yeah, that's yeah. I figured, right? Like and we went right down Third Avenue, uh, and then you know, and uh, went to the Civic Center, and they had a reception for us, a civic reception, and we all and Norm, we all we we, we bought rain uh, green blazers, mm. we had green blazers and gray slacks, <laughs> and uh, we wore that, and you know, we looked classy, and. Uh, I mean, it was a humongous thrill. Now, I wasn't one of the better players. I mean, Brian Speck was our point guard. He was fantastic. Uh, Skip Cronk was our postman. and We had Wayne Haldane, who was one of the best shooters that I've ever played with hmm. or coached. Hmm. And, um, and we were nasty <laughs> in terms of being competitive. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was, uh, it imprinted on me in many, many ways. And it imprinted on everybody that was on the team. Mm-hmm. Most of the guys, almost all of them became successful, very successful people. Yeah. It's funny how it works like that. And it yeah. must, and it must give you still great pride to, you know, Mel Bishop 
one of the best coaches in the province for so long and, and continuing on the tradition there. Um, he's done such a phenomenal job as well. Um, and I'm, well, I'm sure you have a good Bill connection and I with him. Way back. Yeah, I figured. And, yeah. You know, he came. I, I took a bunch of when I was and still going to UBC, I took a bunch of kids down to the Evergreen basketball camp, a bunch of Rupert kids. And Mel was one of them, Jimmy Sacconi and some other really good players. And uh, I supervised them, and I was a camp, camp, camp counselor. And then Mel came out to Laurentian when I was in my first coaching job, and he played for me for four years there. Oh, no way. Yeah. Now we played one-on-one <laughs> by the hour. You and him? Yeah. <laughs> No blood, no foul style, or oh, it, it was competitive. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> we had fiercely competitive scrimmages. Right. I got my first when I finished at UBC. In grad school at UBC, I was offered the job as an assistant, a grad assistantship, to coach the women's team. Okay. After having played, and I, I had no idea. Well, you know about women's basketball. Yeah. But we had, and and Norm Vickery came back to school, came back to UBC, and so I talked to him, and we co-coached. I was listed as the head coach, but we really co-coached the team. We had 80 kids try out. Wow. And we had three teams, and we the team that we ended up with. I had the most wonderful coaching experience coaching those those women. Um, five of them made the national team. Whoa. Imagine that. Wow. You have five national team players on your team. <laughs> and we won the Senior A Women's uh, Canadian Championship. And we won the Canada West. Uh, it wasn't Canada West. It was a different name, but... They didn't have a national university championship at that time. Right. But we had the, the conference. We won the conference championship, and then we won the senior women's uh, championship. And awesome. it, I never had more fun coaching. Those kids competed. They trained. It was, they were tough. Mm-hmm. We had a group called the Buzz Bombs <laughs> that came off the bench. <laughs> and they upped the ante energy-wise. Yeah. They weren't as big, but they brought incredible energy. And then they kept the name Buzz Bombs for years after in the Senior Women's League. <laughs> so when we have reunions of that team. We're in the BC Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it was just phenomenal. That's it, fun. It, that thing sealed my, the, uh, my uh, goal. Yeah. Knew, I knew I was on the right path. Ah. And so that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Not to cut you up, but just when, at what point did you start to process? Like I want to coach. Was it, was it when you transferred to UBC, like you said, or well, I decided yeah. I wanted, yeah, I decided I want to coach yeah. and I transferred to UBC to take uh, phys ed. Yeah. And then I did my master's at UBC the year I coached the team and there was no coaching courses. There was no place I could go to study coaching. So I, I took motor learning as my master's uh, uh, major, mm-hmm. and I worked under a fellow named Ron Martinuk, who was a fantastic uh, uh, PhD man. And um, I, wa- I worked under him because I knew if I, 
if I worked under him and was successful, I'd be able to do a PhD if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So, I, I and I took motor learning because I wanted to learn about skill learning, how so, skill teaching. Right. So, uh, and I took, you know, exercise physiology and yeah. uh, sports psychology, all those courses that yeah. I could uh, direct towards coaching. Sounds like um, you weren't afraid to take risks early on and kind of like get out of your comfort zone. But it also sounds like as a young as a youngin, you you know you're as a family you're forced to kind of travel around, and then that forced you to kind of meet new people and be in, be involved in different environments. Is that do you think that's related and that's connected? That you're like, yeah, oh, I'm okay to go to UBC. I'm okay to go back and and coach this women's team. And or or did you not even think about it about that? Well, I mean, I went to UBC because I wanted to coach. Yeah. And uh, I, I had enough at the University of Calgary. Yeah. And um, then when I got the opportunity to coach, it was like incredible. And yeah. um, to have such a, an incredible team, such competitive women. I mean, the women, we got women into War Memorial Gym. Yeah. They weren't allowed. They 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 practiced over in this old barn that had posts along the side of it it was a <laughs> old old place give us an idea of like what like what time of what year is this approximately uh, this is like 69 70 yeah and i'm not i'm not trying to make you feel old because you still look great for your age it's just to give <laughs> give people an idea of just how long you've been involved in the game for for people that maybe don't know your whole entire story right like it's you know it's so important. The way we got in the War Memorial is we is Peter didn't start his practices. I wanted to start early, and Peter wasn't starting yet. So I went in, and I asked him if uh, if we could um, use his practice time <laughs> until he started. And he said, "No problem. Go go right out." So we went out, and it was the first time that the women were allowed to practice at at. Uh, War Memorial. Awesome. And then we would go, we had the whole, you know, the whole area. And then when Peter started, I was prepared to head over to the old women's gym. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, why don't you just go down to the other end? Go cross court. And, you know, you can use the middle court sometimes. We'll use the middle court sometimes. If we scrimmage, we'll let you know on the big court. And you can scrimmage on the big court sometimes. So we just went down to the other end, and we ran our, our practices, and it was wonderful. And, uh, you know, we didn't realize at the time that it was groundbreaking, you know, the first time the women were allowed to play in there, and that's how they got in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so it was an adventure. That's it was awesome. The first day of practice, we had these 80 kids, and we had we had wanted them to run partway out to the gates. Mm. I looked out mid-practice; it's pouring rain, <laughs> and I'm going, "Geez, do we send these guys out? Send these kids out?" I'm debating it. I go out and I look, and it later, just before the end of practice, and it it cleared up. Mm. So, finished practice, and I explained. <coughs> Excuse me. I explained the route, and so the kids all start getting ready. 
some of them take off, come running back in and say, it's pouring. So I said, well, you can dry off when you get back. <laughs> <laughs> and they all went out. Yeah. And we, we weeded uh, quite a few that, <laughs> that day. <laughs> I mean, the survivors, I mean, they trained. We trained over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. We're the only team training at Christmas. The survivors, he at says. UBC. I love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was, it was uh, we ran, we went to the beach and ran the, ran the sand dunes, climbed the sand dunes, raced up, raced up the hills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we trained at, at, at in high school. So we were so fit at the end. I mean, we mowed teams down. Right. Because we had this great bench that came off and just brought heat. Mm -hmm. It was so much fun to coach them. And they, they actually made me look decent. <laughs> That's what I was gonna. I was gonna ask. Like, so so having such a good group early on, did you did you end up getting spoiled too early, or did no. that just make you more hungry to realize? It all right, me, I realize this is the standard. Yeah, it made me hungry to help talented kids make the national team. Okay. Yeah. And then I got hired at Laurentian. Okay. By one of my old coaches, who was a dean there. Mm -hmm. And um, where was that coach from? Uh, he was from Calgary. Okay. And and uh, so I spent six years there. They were wonderful years. I, I thoroughly enjoyed living in Sudbury. The people were so down to earth. The uh, community was. I, I I played football in the senior men's football league. The old the oldest uh, senior football league in Canada. I'd never played football. I played five years in that league. And so I got to know people in the community through that football team right. and, and through the basketball team at Laurentian. And uh, one of my proudest achievements is that I'm in the, the Hall of Fame in that football league. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I averaged 19 yards a catch. What? Yeah. Come on now. I'm not kidding. I had some good quarterbacks. They, good and thing they didn't have fantasy football then. No fantasy football. <laughs> that was a guy named Rudy Reschke was our middle linebacker. He played for the BC Lions and he played in the NFL. Wow. And he brought it every game and he brought it every practice. <laughs> it was fun. It, it was crazy. So I've I've yeah, I've heard but Anyway, I've heard... so I had I had a wonderful time in Sudbury. I, and we had, my last year in Sudbury, we had, we made it to the semifinals at Nationals, and uh, we beat the number one ranked team who beat us by 25. We beat them in the first game and knocked them out of the tournament. Um, and then we lost in the semifinals. Uh, and I beat myself up because the, uh, we played a, a tough team, St. Mary's, and they had a bunch of real good American kids. and. Uh, in the first half, we we had a slight lead, and then at halftime they switched to a zone, and our zone attack wasn't good enough. Mm. And so I I made a, a pledge that a zone would never beat us again. And then and then you end up writing a book with Del Harris, correct? Yeah, I got Del Harris's book that yeah. summer, and I and I worked at the Olympics that summer, and and. Uh, I, I read it probably three times and took notes. I still have my notes. Yeah. I love and then it. later, 
when Dell and I worked together and became good friends. Yeah. I said to him one time, "What you were interested in, in ever doing a second edition to your own book?" And he said, "Yeah, I, I actually started one, but I never. I got waylaid and didn't, you know, didn't get it near near finished." And I said, "Well, would you like to write one together?" He said, "For sure." Under one condition, I said, "What's that?" He said, "You you got to write it." <laughs> <laughs> it took me two years, and I, I would work in the morning, and it became like a a damn term paper, right. you know, yeah. that I couldn't get done. You know, I, I I kept adding and put more more stuff in it. And he, one time he said to me, "We're not doing the damn encyclopedia," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, we got it done eventually, and, and uh, then he wanted to call it the Encyclopedia of Zone Offense. <laughs> he didn't even remember telling me we're not writing the Encyclopedia. You know, one of the things at Laurentian that was so super is I had all these kids from Northern Ontario. We had no Southern Ontario kids, and, and we did, you know, really, really well. Mm-hmm. And we had everybody back. And uh, then I got the opportunity to go to UVic. So why why do you point out that they were Northern Ontario kids? Would it would it would well, the assumption just be difficult. that they weren't as talented? Yeah, or just not as good? Or no, the 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 region had mm-hmm. decent basketball, and I thought if we got the best kids out of the north, we could always compete. And uh, so that was my goal. Yeah. And uh, because getting kids, you know, it's two hundred and forty miles north of Toronto. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a long ways up there. You know, know, within 30 miles of Toronto, you got probably 15 universities. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, it it was a wonderful time in Sudbury, and I hated one of the worst moments in my life was having to tell those guys I was going to Victoria. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eli Pasquale came to the first basketball camp I ran. No way. That's where I first met him. No way. Yeah, and, wow. and we and we had, I mean, we had fierce, fierce competitive scrimmages in the summer. Yeah, Laurentian, and Eli participated them in in them when he was in junior high. Mm-hmm. And he knew if he didn't turn the ball over, he could play. <laughs> he, he turned the ball over. Yeah, no one would want him. Yeah, nobody would have him on his their team. <laughs> So, you know, and you had to shoot, you had to shoot to stay on the court, right? If Absolutely. you lost. Right. So, I mean, and they were very, very, very competitive scrimmages. Wasn't that a fun time for basketball? Just, you know, you know, I'm 43, so I'm a 77 baby. So I feel like I hang on to those moments too, where just, you know, you go to a sweaty gym somewhere and there's like 15 to 20 of the best players in the region and you just go at it for like three hours and if you lose you sit and if there's 40 guys you're sitting for a while so the games are like uber competitive right like that was those are some of the best times calling your own fouls figuring it out pecking order Who's the who's the competitor? Who's the guy that next time you do your run, like, oh yeah, we don't want that guy on our team. We'll take that. We'll take that Pasquale kid because he doesn't turn it over and we'll guard, right? Like, that was a good time. Um, yeah. Fiercely, fiercely competitive. But yeah, after it's over, it's over. Everybody's buddies. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Healthy competition, right? Yeah. Um, when and did then you? One other thing in yeah. the wrenches, Jack Tawney, who became the national coach, and I actually tried out one year, but. I, and I got an ear infection at camp, and 
I had no chance. Yeah. Anyway, I was so disappointed. But uh, I so I went. His camps were in Ottawa, so I I went as an observer to his camps uh, with a notebook, and he always had guest coaches come in, and then we'd go for you know something to eat or a beer, a couple of beers after practice in the evening, and I and it would be like a basketball clinic. Yeah, and I would take notes, and yeah. so I, and I learned, I watched how, what you had to do to make the national team, in in the competitive uh, tryouts that they had, and so one of my goals at UVic when I got to UVic mm-hmm. was to have to help the talented players that we have have the best chance of making the national team mm-hmm. in our preparation over the season. Interesting. To prepare them for those competitive scrimmages. And what were some of those things that you noted? Well, they had to pl- they had to play three times a day yeah. for three days. Right. And, and it was grueling. Yeah. And so we trained our butts off. I mean, we we trained the whole team in order to get those elite guys ready for national camp and ready for the national championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I'm really, one of the things I'm most proud of is uh, how many of our players made the national team. Right. You know, and, and how I would go to the national camps, watch my guys try out, try out, and watch them go up against the kids coming back from NCAA schools. Mm. And, you know, our guys were the survivors. Mm-hmm. Eli, Kaz... Kelly Dukeshire, um, you know, you could do, go down the list. There's, there's a whole bunch. Yeah. And, uh, so that that was a huge thrill to me. Yeah. That was a, a great learning experience for me to go. One time I lived in in a, in a Volkswagen camper <laughs> in the parking lot outside no the gym. What color? <laughs> it was Norm Bickery's. It was yellow. Ah, yeah, we had the blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, I just, and I went to every single clinic I could get to. Yeah. I bought every book I could get. There were no yeah. videos at that time. Yeah. And, you know, I just was, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, you know, to be the best I could be. You had the, the players to be the best they could be. I, I got to be the best I can be. What are you looking for during this pandemic time? Sometimes, after a long week of work, we just want to sit down and have a nice cold beer. Well, one of our sponsors, Parkside Brewery, can offer you that. Located at 2731 Murray Street in Port Moody, Parkside not only has an amazing indoor atmosphere during the winter season, it also has a great patio in the summer. Get down there, enjoy yourself a cold beer, or you can find them at any local government liquor store. Last thing, don't expect to go to Parkside and get any tips on how to become a better basketball player because Sam Payne and Travis McLean, our good buddies, can't help you with that. But they sure can serve you a good beer. See you, Parkside. Right. You had the, uh, the, the Prince Rupert fishing hooks in early. You can, you can, you can, and I think it's cool. Like coach, like 
you can still hear the passion in your voice and you know you you're you're calling them kids and how you wanted to see them grow and and talking about competitiveness and i think if if half of our listeners haven't grabbed grabbed a notepad um then that's on that's their fault um and and this is just phenomenal talk about that transition to uvic a little bit and how you know how did that all i mean you were you were your carlton before carlton and how like i i remember coach chambers um when i was in grade 11 we the team had won the previous year the provincial championship at terry fox so when i was in grade 11 we won it again so we won back to back um and then when i was coaching you know i would always you know Coach Chambers is a huge mentor for me, and we talk all the time, and he would say, man, repeating is such a hard thing. And then you look at your resume, and it's like, wait, seven times in a row? So I'm just excited and and interested to hear how you kept that culture rolling, and I know you'll make it about everybody else, but I'm I'm just intrigued um, as to how you transformed that program into an absolute dynasty. Well, I think... um I felt like I did in Northern Ontario. I, I felt I had to keep the best in Northern Ontario. And I thought when I came to the island, if we kept the best kids on the island, we got the best kids. Now we had Oak Bay, we had Nanaimo, we had you know some very, very good programs on the island. And if, uh, if we kept those best kids, we, we could compete. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we only lost one player off the island that I tried to recruit, he went to Simon Fraser and then he transferred back. <laughs> so we didn't ever, we never lost a guy that we tried to recruit off the island, <laughs> uh, except except one or two guys went to the states. Fair enough. Um, but that's that's all. And then um, so uh, in terms of recruiting, I would explain to the recruit if you want to come here, this is what it's about. You know, you got to bring your best effort every single day, every time you step on the court, whether you're just coming out to, to shoot or whether you're coming out to scrimmage with your friends. Uh, if you make our team, you bring it every time you step on the court. Mm-hmm. you got to try and be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you you bring this effort once in a while. It comes every day. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy. Yeah, it's not for everybody, right? Yeah, it's not for everybody. And if you if you if if you have doubts about your ability to do that, sincere doubts and you know you don't want to do that, then you're coming to the wrong place. Yeah. You you gotta go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But you know, I think you can be a great player if you if if you come in and you fit into our our way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And so, over time, you know, our our senior players had to model these behaviors to the kids coming in. Mm-hmm. Because if they didn't, then what am I talking about? Right. Right. I mean, I'm yeah. full of hot air. Top down, yeah. Yeah, they've got to they've got to walk the t- my talk. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Eli Pasquale comes. I got him, in, and you know, when I left 
Sudbury, he came into my office to say goodbye, and he said, someday I want to come and play for you. No way. And we made that happen. And that guy, yeah, he came, and he, in our conditioning run after practice, we did an aerobic run for the first five or six weeks. <laughs> anyway, he came in second. <laughs> and that was the only Once. time he came in second in five years. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, right? He didn't want to. He didn't want to show anybody up. Yeah. So, but think about that. He won every sprint conditioning drill we did. He won every cross country run that we ever did, mm -hmm. and he competed fiercely. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a and. I, I, he just went into the Canada West Hall of Fame, and I can't I, I can't think of a player who had more impact in Canada West basketball at his position and dominated his position like Eli did for five years. He won a championship every year. Yeah, I don't. And uh, I don't. He, he and David Sheehan were the only people. Uh, to do that until you know until the Carlton kids uh, did it right but, you know so we had that culture of work mm -hmm. and competitiveness mm -hmm. our practices if I wasn't teaching you can't teach and compete at the same time hmm. if you're teaching you're asking them to focus on specific things execution-wise that you want, technical things that you want done. So you have to get them proficient at that before you can let them compete at that. Because as soon as they go into competition, they go right back to their old habits. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 a lot of coaches don't even think about that. But it's a progressive, it's a building uh, progressively and you're working with a with a with a player, and you want to, you want to work on some aspect of their shot. You can only work on one thing at a time, right? Because that's all the brain processes. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide, okay, where where am I going to start on this? Mm -hmm. And and you got to do something that you know they can do. Mm -hmm. And. You know, get them close to the basket, make sure their form or whatever it is you're working on is absolutely perfect. Yeah. I read a great article just this morning on Steph Curry. Go on ESPN and check it out. Okay. They do an analysis of his shot. Hmm. He gets his shot off in 0.4 seconds. <laughs> and it's it's mechanically perfect. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I don't know if there's anything I can do in 0.4 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> Let alone get an NBA shot off. Right. <laughs> anyway, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. And one of the other things that's hugely important is that when you get in a player and you go in the gym with him and just him alone, and you work on his game, he understands that you have his best interests yeah. at heart. Mm -hmm. And you may be tough on him in practice and everything. But it's because you want him to get better. Right. And you have to show him you want him to get better by working with him alone. Mm -hmm. And that's where you develop respect and trust. And you have to have trusting relationships with your with your players. 
You're trying to help your players become competent. Competent at the fundamentals, competent at uh, building their IQ of the game, learning the two and three man plays and all the options that you have in them, being able to read defense and react to the way the defense is playing, and uh, you know, build their basketball IQ. And so that building that trusting relationship is huge. Oh. They have to go into a game knowing, I mean, trust, uh, I won't ask you, the, the trust has mm. two components. Mm. One is integrity, obviously. You have to show integrity. I, like, I can't believe some guys who cheat and break the rules and they're trying to get a trusting relationship with their players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're breaking rules. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what, are you, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Right? So, and then you have, they have to believe you're competent. <laughs> if, you go to the, if you go to the doctor <laughs> and you don't think he's that competent, you're not going to trust him. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So those players, you're trying to build their competence, mm-hmm. and so you can have you can trust them to go into the game and make and make the right decisions. Right. And they have to believe you're competent. Mm-hmm. They have to believe you. They can trust you integrity wise, and they have to believe that you're competent and know what you're doing. Yeah. And respect your competence. Coach, I got to cut you off here for a sec. Like, this is okay. Corbin and I are just sitting here, like, we've got our hands, like, to the, our palms to the air, like we're in church. We feel like, (laughs) we feel like we're in a sermon right now. I just, I just, like, you know, I'm, I'm still got years to coach. Corbin's a young coach. And I just remember being, like, full full of piss and vinegar in my first few years, and I just focused on wins, and I never really thought about the process, and I didn't think about our culture. I didn't think about, you know, the last guy on the bench. It just was – and I don't know why, because I played five years of post-secondary basketball. I – you know, I under some really great coaches, the Phil Langleys, the you know, the Richie Chambers, Kevin Hansons, Jerry Hemmings, and right. and then when I became coaching, I just I don't know why I let my emotions take over from the game, and then I just started to realize there's like, you know, we can all run great things and and have a good zone offense, you know, from your book, right? But if the if the five guys and this other seven that are traveling with you don't trust each other and don't trust the people that are running the the engine nothing's going to happen. Right. And I just, if people are listening, like, wow, I just, and it's nothing, it's nothing new, but to hear it from someone like you, who's just so well-respected and has done so many great things in the game of basketball. It's like, this is, yeah, I just, sorry, I just had to cut you off and just say like that, you know, you know, if you don't trust, yeah, keep going. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, the whole issue yeah. Of building competence in your players. A lot of coaches start the season and they work on fundamentals for two or three weeks. And then they get into team play and then they start preparing for, for teams. And they forget about building the individual skills of their players. And so over the, you know, for two-thirds of the season or longer, they're not working on any fundamentals. Mm -hmm. They're not working on shot mechanics getting better. 
they're not working on building the skill base and uh, learning how learning all the two and three man games in in, in basketball mm-hmm. how you defend how you execute how you make reads mm-hmm. and uh, so you're teaching them the fundamentals and sooner or later the fundamental as, as soon as possible the fundamentals have to be uh, put into a game situation so they they know how and why and when these things should happen mm-hmm. and it becomes theirs mm-hmm. and they grow as players so if you don't do that you cap your ability to improve over the season because you forgot about the biggest job you have is to is to try and grow your players' talent, get them better, mm-hmm. and yeah, they'll get better because they practice every day. So they'll get better some, mm-hmm. but it won't be anywhere near uh, if you're if you're really really on them about improving individually, mm-hmm. and you're drilling and working with them individually and in small groups and in practice about getting better as, as players. Mm-hmm. So Great I think it. that's a huge, huge part of it. And, you know, going back to high school, the what, what did I learn? I learned you can control only a couple things. You can control fitness. Right. If your players are, are sucking air in the second half, then you got you have a problem. Because that's the one thing you can control. Right. So when I studied exercise physiology and I understood the how how important aerobic work was to build a foundation upon which you can run sprints and recover from them. If you don't have a good aerobic base, you can't recover from sprints. You run sprints and you get you get washed out. Because you don't have the foundation of turning lactates back into usable energy, of bringing oxygen to them, and that's what aerobic capacity is: your ability to bring oxygen uh, to, you know, to reconvert lactic acid into usable energy. The lactic acid that's built up in anaerobic work, sprint work. Right. And I, I'll never forget playing at in Nevada Reno. Yeah. We opened their new building and we opened the new building uh, in Vegas. Played in Vegas first and then we went to Reno. We had a competitive game in Vegas, but we ended up losing by about, I think, 15. Um, that, that was a tough, tough game. Eli, Eli, Danny, uh, Jerry Tarkanian was coaching and Eli lit up his son. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, the game was really close at halftime, and they they edged away in the second half. They had so much length, so much athleticism. Anyway, we fought, and, it, and uh, then we went to Reno, and Reno was at altitude, and Sonny Allen was the coach, and he had a book out called, you know, Sonny Allen Fast Break, and they ran teams because they were at altitude. Mm-hmm. And so... They, they tried to run us 
<laughs> but we recovered. We recovered so well, and in breaks in the game and in timeouts, and we ended up uh, beating them uh, in their in opening their new building. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the things that was so uh, important in our development was playing NCAA teams. We could never get an NCAA team to come play us up here. Right. So we played, I think, like 15 games down there on the road, and we won seven. Mm-hmm. And That's unreal. When you beat an, a Division One team on their court with their officials, we won two games in Hawaii. We beat the University of Hawaii Rainbows twice in Hawaii. Wow. And they have the Hawaiian officials. <laughs> Not easy, I'll tell you. Anyway, I mean, sort of so, like sort of like island officials <laughs> or valley officials. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> or Vancouver and district officials. <laughs> My last game at UBC, we beat UBC at the buzzer. Yeah, on an out of bounds play, and the the play. UBC had the ball with six, six seconds left in the game. They inbounded it. We trapped it. The referee called a jump ball with one second on the clock. What? Because they used their five seconds up. Right. So it's our ball on the baseline. And we ran a play, and Jeff McKay made a terrific read coming off the screen, curled it, caught the ball, laid it in. Mm. And we won the game. And that was my last game at UBC. <laughs> and I couldn't have scripted a better result. Um, anyway, so, you know, those, those games, playing in NCAA games, mm-hmm. really, really built confidence. Yeah. You know, I mean, we'd be, we'd be Loyola Marymount on their court uh, when Paul uh, Westhead first started his run and gut game. Yeah. Yeah. And we beat him in the last second. No in way. His, in his first game. Woo. At uh, Loyola. Yeah, at Loyola. Was that campus as nice floor, as advertised? They ran off the floor yeah. and didn't shake our hands. What? Yep. And years later, I met Westhead in, in Japan. Yeah. And we had a great chat. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, he's a, he was a decent guy. But anyway, that was a, a... And we didn't have that. That was... Randy Steele was on that team. No way. And in the first half, they were looking like they were going to run away on us. I said, Randy, you got to get in the game. you got to take play the point. you got to get us organized and make sure that we're totally organized offensively because we'll score on these guys. They don't defend. We're saying, damn. And we got to haul ass and get back and... And pick up, and we'll be okay. But we can't give him transition baskets. Mm-hmm. He did a masterful job. We ended up winning that game. Love so it. those those NCAA wins were superb confidence builders. Yeah, yeah. You know, no other team has won games on the road. I think Carlton went like eight years and never won a game in the states. Right. Beat Only teams at home. Up. At home, yeah, but they didn't win a game in the states. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not easy. 
And I've, so those things, those things were hugely important in our our, our practices were extremely competitive. If we weren't teaching, we were competing mm-hmm. and keeping score. And there was winners and losers, and mm-hmm. everybody ran after a drill. Mm-hmm. The winners won, ran, ran less. The losers ran more. Yeah. And the whole practice was like that. And we, you know, we competed with free throws. We competed every way we could compete. And yeah. Building so, our conditioning. So do you feel like that was? You know, I mean, obviously, you get lay in rest. First of all, rest in peace to Eli Pasquale, one of the greatest, um, you know, point guards Canada's ever produced. Um, and just like I went to Eli Pasquale basketball camp when I lived in Victoria. Um, like, how does that program, like, okay, because, you know, oh, you have two or three, you know, maybe we win back to back or we win a three peat, but to do it seven. So there's, there's a cycle of guys that have come and gone within that. And was it just, you know, you said compete so many times. Was it the compete level that did it? And um, how, how did it feel to win that first national championship? So it's a two-party question. Um, I'm just, yeah. First national championship we won was in Calgary. Yeah. And uh, we had lost in the semis the year before. And I was ticked. At how we lost, okay. but Why? we were ready. We were ready, and we we won the national. I think we beat uh, Brandon in the final. Okay, and um, they had a very good team. Yeah, and that was a thrill, big thrill. Mm-hmm. Two guys missed the flight home. <laughs> we didn't wait for them. Yeah, we went. Yeah. Oh, you! I love it. I love it. One was Eli. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. And. <laughs> When the van leaves, oh, I'm dying. Yeah, the when the van leaves, leaves yeah, yeah, I love it. I love and nobody, it. and those two two guys had to find their way home. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, from the national championship. I mean, like it's just I'm laughing, but it just warms my heart to hear those stories because I mean that's how I was raised too, right? I I, I remember um, the year after we won it, we went over and did a little kind of weekend. Uh, we played we played Smoo and then we played Lambrick, right? Hyde's brought everybody down and we just did a little, you know, and so we stayed at the hotel. So we go and we get to Smoo and Hyde's, of course. Uh, we're playing in the spare gym because the main gym isn't available. And so our starting point guard is hurt and we are, we I think we lost by 55. Like it was embarrassing. Um, and so it was, you know, next morning, breakfast is where the van leaves at, you know, eight o'clock to go for breakfast. And like half the team decided that 8.05, four was an appropriate time to come down and i was like we're out of here and and the biggest cloud i maybe i've ever seen in victoria history came over top of us and these kids yeah they had to walk four blocks and they got into the restaurant they were but i was like that's just how it rolls so that's amazing yeah well it wasn't a night after a national championship though i mean if you're gonna miss the bus for one reason it might as well be after a national championship not to excuse eli's behavior but Well, you know, you have you have issues with players. Of course. You know, nothing's there's no team that doesn't have issues from yeah. time to time with players. Yeah, the player coach relationship's tough, yeah. right? And and you have to build that trust. Yeah. And so one of my one of my most treasured uh, things in my life is my relationship with with my former players. Yeah, we have Zoom calls 
on Wednesdays. Just the old players chatting and what's yep. going on. And uh, so, I mean... I've heard about this. My relationships with those guys are are treasured I think, in my lifetime. I think that says a lot about... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, for you, that's awesome but i think that says a lot about what you were able to create for those people and i hope you've taken the time maybe you haven't yet but at some point or maybe you do when you're you know going for a walk on cadborough bay or whatever it is like just you know reflecting back and realizing what you the memories that you've created for so many young men that they've carried on into their grown lives and how powerful that is to like like you say, to hop on a, a Zoom call with guys that are now in their fifties and and late fifties and and like it was just yesterday. I mean, that's that as a coach. What else is it about? I mean, yeah, the national championships are sweet. The the national team stuff, the Australian team working with the Bucks. You know, like your resume is amazing, but how, you can't take that away. You really can't, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been lucky. I mean, I'm a yeah. very very lucky man. I mean. Uh, to, to coach Canada and then mm. go on and I had a fantastic time in Japan. I absolutely mm -hmm. love Japan. I worked there for, I coached the team there for two years and trained a young Japanese guy to take over. And my relationship with those guys, whenever I go to Tokyo, we always get together. Yeah. And one thing about the Japanese, they're on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They never, and when you go to a, a restaurant or you have a team meal, mm. nobody touches a fork until everybody's there really and they're all there on time because uh -huh. it's it's really uh shows disrespect for you not to be on time for your buddies wow the last time i was there we said we would meet at a certain subway station at six o'clock at mm -hmm. six o'clock we started walking i looked at my watch we started walking at six o'clock hmm it was, you know, just everybody was there on time. Everybody was, and we went and we had a fabulous time, had a fabulous meal. That's but, awesome. You know, <laughs> I love the Japanese culture. I love the food. Uh, I really enjoyed my time in Japan. Many, That's many, awesome. many tremendous friends there. And then I was lucky enough to go to Australia and yeah. work with the national team and yeah, go to the Olympics. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, 2004 and just... You know, how, you know, and, and stop, stop being so humble, maybe a little bit. How were you able to build these connections? Was it because you were able to build friendships with people who trusted you and knew, or was it word of mouth or, well, like, I mean, I, cause well, like, if, I was if, just lucky. Yeah. Okay. If, whatever. Uh, Come on. Uh, Ron Adams, Here Ron we Adams go. was he, working with a team in Japan. Yeah. Okay. And Ron had come up and, and helped me with the national team. Mm -hmm. And we became good friends when he was an assistant at Fresno State. And we played them there, and we lost in the last minute in a sellout crowd in, in uh, Selland Arena. And I, was the only, I didn't have an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, then we went to a dinner after a big booster dinner, and the uh, head coach spoke and he said, uh, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the game. <laughs> hope you fellas enjoyed watching you Vic here because you'll never see them here again. 
there's no way he was going to bring a team down that could beat him in an exhibition game. Right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we had a good time there, and I met Ron. Mm-hmm. And he shared his his little book that he he had done, and we became we became close friends. We're still close friends to this day. Cool. And he was working in Japan, and he got a job in the NBA, so he couldn't do his his job. So he asked me to go over. He recommended to the coach there that he bring me in to run the training camp. So I ran the training camp. The coach really enjoyed it, and he hired me on as a to be an advisor to mm-hmm. come in, you know, different times during the year. And and then he he ended up getting fired, and I had advised him what to do to stop, prevent getting fired, and he didn't do it. And anyway, he ended up getting fired, and so I tried to get them to hire him back. There's no way they were going to hire him back. And then they phoned me and asked me to take the job, and I said, well, hey, you know, I, 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 was, I worked for him, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming back to take his job. It looked like I gassed him, and yeah. that wasn't the case. And So anyway, uh, he eventually phoned me and said, hey, Ken, if you want that job, you should take it. You have my blessing. Right. And so I got I got the job and I got great pay, a two-year contract to train this young coach, Japanese coach, and coach the team. And, and then after that, I had uh, contracts with other teams as advisors. Mm. So mm-hmm. I worked with a number of different men's and women's teams. Right. So I really, really, really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. Uh, and then That's we were, awesome. I got the, one of the men's coaches asked me to be his assistant on the national team, the Japanese men's national team. So I went with him and we had a uh, competition in Australia. And uh, so while I was there, uh, this fellow came named Brian Gorgian, watched our practice and watched me work with players and and um, and then and he had worked in Japan the year before and uh, Kathy got uh, uh, breast cancer so I had to leave the team so I recommended that he uh, that they that they take Brian because he'd worked in Japan before and he seemed like he knew what he was doing and so they hired him, and then I had arranged for them to come to uh, BC and play the national team in Vancouver, one game in Vancouver, one game in Victoria. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to back to work with the team when they came. So he, and he was still with the team. Yeah. He was with the team then. So, and I came to work, and, and uh, we became good friends. And then he asked me to come down and, and work with his team in Australia. Yeah, and on my way down, the Australians. I got off the plane and stumbled off the plane before we got to uh, Sydney, and they had the Australians got beat by New Zealand in a qualification for the Worlds. That can happen. And so the Australian coach got fired, and hmm. my friend Brian got hired. Wow! And I was going to help him with his team, and he asked me if if he got the national job if I'd work with him. So I said, sure, and uh, went to the Olympics with him. Wow. So that was a thrill. What a moment. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> commuting back and forth to Australia and yeah. going to the training camps and seeing the, the Australian countryside, and the Australian sport culture, which is fantastic. Uh, it was a really, uh, really a good growing experience for me. That's cool. And then, uh, you are and, like the epitome of the hoops journey. Like this is the, t- the <laughs> you know, like a, our show is literally you and it's unreal. Cause I think maybe yeah. some people who, you know, kind of aren't in your bubble, maybe think just UVic basketball. And when they hear this, it's like, wow. And, you know, and, and then the opportunity with the bucks and just, yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. It's yeah great. I, so and I also coached, uh, uh Gordy Herbert got the national team head job in Georgia. Gordy Herbert, yeah, okay. And he asked, he had played for me on the BC team years ago, <laughs> along with Doug Kelsey. And uh, anyway, so he asked me to be his assistant. Yeah. So I joined the Georgian team, and then Gordy got a really good job in Europe. And one of the conditions was he couldn't coach the Georgian team. So, a long story, but I ended yeah. up being the head coach. For a year, they wanted me to do it for two years. I, I said I would do it for one, because I didn't want to be a head coach. And mm-hmm. uh, anyway, so I coached that team, and so I had a couple of years in Georgia. People in Georgia were fantastic. I mean, mm-hmm. you couldn't ask for better people. They didn't have a pot to piss in. <laughs> yeah. But they tried to give you every opportunity to help help the team that they could. And playing in front of a sell a sellout arena in Georgia was another experience how so and well the passion of the fans yeah you know they're playing in other countries which are their arch rivals Mm -hmm. and you don't lose in georgia (laughs) (laughs) if you lose i mean it's it's not good (laughs) (laughs) but we had but it was a wonderful experience the people were so poor and they were so gracious and Mm. Yeah, it was, uh, that was fantastic. So you... And then the last thing, I, I yeah. ended up uh, working for the, got hired to help the British women's team qualify to play in London because they weren't, they, they didn't have the oppor- a guaranteed position as host, as host because they were only on the B level in Europe. So we got them, I was an assistant, and we got them to the A, A level, and we qualified so I was able to go to the London Olympics with that team and uh, we had we lost a couple close games that otherwise we would have been you know close to a medal round but that's awesome anyway but it was I mean those were then I got second that kind of ended my uh, my basketball career from that standpoint internationally Mm. But, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to have had those experiences and be so lucky mm-hmm. to make a living in the, in the doing something you love doing is uh, pretty special. I got a question for you. You're absolutely correct. And you said so many great things. Um, but you said something about, I didn't want to be a head coach anymore. So I'm just interested from a coaching perspective, um, like, what is it? now or that you were thinking at that point from a head coach perspective that you needed from your assistant so you're an assistant in that role and obviously hopefully your head coach had told you you know here's what i need from you and whatever but 
if you could give any advice to someone who's an assistant, maybe a young person, you know, like we have alumni who come to our school and coach and are thinking about coaching. But if you're an assistant in an important role, um, what what are things that you think are important? Well, first of all, I think the most important thing is being loyal to your head coach. Hmm. If you you know, it's got to be kind of like Trump. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> you got to be with him. <laughs> And, and uh, help him with shore up his idiosyncrasies and, you know, <laughs> help him be the best head coach he can be, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so oftentimes, you know, young coaches who are assistants don't realize, you know, that much about what they should or shouldn't do. And they're there to learn too. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of places where they say, hey, you're not here to learn. You're here to teach. You're here to make the, the program better. Right. And uh, so, I think in Canada now they they hire full-time assistant coaches. Right. So then, look at the program. Does the program get better because they have those assistants? Mm. I would say no. Most cases, I don't see improvements. Well, why would you hire an assistant? If you didn't think he was going to help you improve the program significantly, right. well, maybe they recruit or maybe they do, you know, work with players or whatever. Yeah. But the performance of the team is what's important. Did are these people going to help us get better on the court? Are we going to be a better team? Right. Okay, how are they going to do it? What do you bring that you're going to make us better at? Oftentimes, what the head coach says is he hires an assistant and dumps all the sh- crap that he doesn't like doing on the assistant, and nobody gets any better. The assistant's running around doing Joe jobs for the head coach because he didn't like doing it, but the players aren't getting any better. Right. The team's not performing any better. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why hire a guy up here? The only way, the only reason you're hiring him is to make the team better, no? Not to offload what the coach doesn't like doing. Right. You know? Good. You know, I Love think it. that's that's hugely important. Absolutely. And, you know, and a, like the assistant's got to develop good rapport with the players. Because they got to develop, they got to, the players got to think they're competent. Mm-hmm. If you're bringing in a young kid and having to go work with varsity players, he has to know what he's doing when he's teaching skills or helping them improve. I mean, you think those guys don't know that? You think they don't sense it? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's got to prove he's competent. And and the head coach can't do anything but watch and help him along the road. But he's got to prove himself. I had a I had a, a, a coach assistant coach with the national team who ends up trying to work with this with this player and the player wasn't buying what he wanted what he was selling and the player kind of uh, blew him off mm-hmm. and the, now the assistant wants me to intervene with the player <laughs> I can't do that right it's up to you you got you got to develop your relationship with the players mm-hmm. I can't pass that up that's you and him. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't work with a player until you've got rapport with that guy. 
and he understands you can help him. Relationships, eh? It's all about relationships. The higher you go in coaching, mm -hmm. the more it's about leadership mm -hmm. and less about X's and O's. When you hear like a Phil Ole, like we had Phil on, and what he's been able to accomplish with his life and his little in his business and things like that, right. like you, I mean, you won't take the credit, but I'm sure there's a little bit of family there. But you know, for you as his mentor, his major mentor in his life, <laughs> for a guy who was playing on the JV squad and f trying to figure it out, right? Um, and well, he walked on. Right, and the, I didn't know him. Yeah, no, he, yeah, yeah. He told us. He said, he, he said, I don't think Coach Shields knew who I was. <laughs> and he was the roughest, one of the toughest guys in practice. Right, knocking guys down, didn't give a shit. You know, I mean, yeah. oh, sorry for my language. That's but right. We bleep him out. It's all good. He was tough, really tough, and uh, he made the team as as I think he just turned seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was saying he was a year younger, right? Like he was yeah. a younger age, yeah. like. And uh, he ended up playing for the national team and guarding Oscar Schmidt, the very famous international Brazilian superstar player. So we yeah. had. Do you know Mike Meeks? Do you know who Mike Meeks is? Oh, yeah, I know Mike. Yeah. yeah, he he said that Oscar is by far the best player that he's ever seen or played against in his entire life. Yeah. Like just. So we're playing in Mexico, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we got a. Yeah. We got to play Oscar, and so I put Phil on him, and Oscar hated because Phil was in his face, mm -hmm. and he wouldn't, he didn't take a step backwards, and so, and, and we didn't beat Brazil, but we had a really close game with them, and they lodged an official protest after the game, they said the fans came to watch Oscar, and Canada played ice hockey against them. <laughs> <laughs> There's no kidding. Yeah, That's what yeah. they said. <laughs> really? <laughs> and it was Phil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Phil, I love it. Phil has a walk on one MVP at national championships. Crazy, right? Like, yeah. how does that happen? You, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... He bought into, he was naturally competitive, and he was like a sponge. Mm. Wanted to get better, wanted to learn. And, right. You know, was tough, competed hard. Yeah. And so he fit right in. Mm -hmm. He modeled what we were trying to get done. That's awesome. So one of the things that I think is really important that coaches have to learn is there are two components of coaching that are really, really important. And one, you have to be a, a superb teacher. You have to be able to teach fundamentals in a progressive way, build the skills, and then teach their application to the game. It's like you're playing one-on-one -on -one and you, you, you blow by on a, a powerful first step and beat your man. Now your head's up. Mm -hmm. What do you see? As soon as you clear his shoulders, your your head's up. Now, right. somebody's got to come to help, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So now I have to make the proper read. Do I, did I, do I get to the rim? Do I draw the guy? And his man's got to know that now he's got to be, create an easy passing lane to me, for me, 
Ball's got to see him. So, you know, you teach the game out of the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, it's really important that the kids learn how to play and how to execute the skills and then read the advantages they gain. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we, we tried to, to develop complete players. All our perimeter players had to be able to play inside and outside. So we could take anybody, and the guards all had to play inside and outside. So if we got a guy in foul trouble, you know, we could take him inside and duck him in, and, and uh, he's, he's helpless. Everybody had to learn how to shoot jump hooks. Love because it. you could finish with a jump hook inside, even if the guy's cut off your path to the basket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, and uh, so these skills are vital, you know, and the other thing that it was important in terms of, I said, teaching, then leadership. Mm. They, you have to be able to lead your team. You have to be able to manage your emotions. Because if you don't manage your emotions, your emotions manage you. Mm-hmm. And you do goofy things. <laughs> you get teased. And you lose your mind in a game when you're supposed to be calm and be able to be detached and see what's going on, make intelligent decisions. Right. So, you know, the, and then your skills at leadership has the higher you go in coaching, the more leadership skills are important. Steve Nash wouldn't have got that job if he didn't have fantastic leadership skills. No question. But he developed as a player. Mm-hmm. Tremendous rapport and respect of all of his teammates. Right. Because he was such a good leader. Mm-hmm. He has a, so many good people skills. And that's why he got hired. Yeah. I mean, when you're, you know, the one, the one video that I've been, Corbin and I have been able to pull up is the 1983 final year. I think it's at Waterloo, correct? And the place is just absolutely like the, I mean, I won't tell you how old I was, so I didn't know about it, but I found it on YouTube. We found it on YouTube and like the place is just, it's jammed wall to wall. So if, you know, guys are trying to communicate on the floor, you're calling plays and they're looking at you. And if you don't have that sort of demeanor where, they feel comfortable, then things are going to go awry, you know? And that game, yeah. <laughs> the crowd stood the, the whole time. The band played, and they had a tradition. Yeah. They would go dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, <laughs> until they scored. Oh, no. Eight minutes. Yes. They stood. Yeah. <laughs> and our mascot was going nuts. He was out, he was out doing the Hulk Hogan. Is this is this Mother Hubbard? Mother Hubbard. I've heard about Mother Hubbard. Mother Hubbard do you live. do you want to share a little bit about Mother Hubbard? Yeah, Mother Hubbard <laughs> became. I will quote. I I will quote. I will quote Phil Ole. He was a key piece to our culture and championship run. Yeah, he was. Yes. He 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 worked in the mill in the sawmill. Okay. And I, it was my first year at UVic, and after Christmas, the team was doing pretty well, but our crowds were dead. Okay. Yeah. 
no energy in the building. And I said, we need somebody to liven the place up. We need a mascot, a really good mascot. So I'm talking to the phys ed guys, and they say, oh, one of the rugby guys says, oh, there's only one guy that could be, that would be Mother Hubbard. I said, well, what does he look like? Oh, he's got long hair, he's got a beard, he's got a big wart on his nose. And I said, that sounds good so far. <laughs> he's really loud. And he said, but you could never have him. I said, why? He said, because you could never control him. <laughs> like he's he's marched, marches to his own drum. So I phoned, I got his number and I phoned him up. I said, we need a Viking. You interested in being our Viking? And he said, yeah, I could do that. So I said, the only a couple of rules. I said, you can't embarrass our team, and you can't embarrass the university. Yep. So there's no uh, swearing. You know, you can you can do your thing, you you know, and be a Viking, but it's got to be uh, in a fairly classy way. Okay, no problem. So I went over to the theater department and got him a, a, a outfit. And off he went. And, I mean, he became an institution. You know, I mean, when he led, when he would lead the team out onto the floor, yeah. the place would go nuts once he established himself. That's and he awesome. had all kinds of shit he did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> which really, you know, some hilarious stuff. Like we were playing Saskatchewan in the playoffs, the Huskies. So the first game, he's got a can of husky dog food. Yeah. During their inter introductions, he's offering them a can of husky dog food <laughs> as they come out. The next night, he's got the dog food in a dish, and he he's offer and we lose. Yeah. He's offering them the dog food. So the third night, it's two out of three. Right. It was the third was Sunday afternoon. He's got the dog food in the dish and he's eating it. And it's sticking to his beard, and he's offering them to share with him as they as they're introduced. And the crowd is absolutely going, going ballistic. Yeah. And their team's laughing too. I mean, yeah, yeah. how can you not? Yeah, I mean, it was it was and he did it all on his own. Yeah. You know. And then at the end of the end of the season, I gave him a, I got our manager to get a six six cans of husky dog food I taped him into a six pack yeah. presented it to him at our banquet yeah. for going above and beyond the call you know he said he, he wasn't leaving it up to me to get the team jacked up before the game yeah. <laughs> and so I call him up and I give him the, the six pack of husky dog food he takes the mic and he says well as you all know Shields is full of crap. I didn't eat the dog food because to motivate the team. I ate it because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and he strides away with the six pack. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we had so much fun over the years. Oh, I, yeah, that's great. We still, he's still one of my, uh, one of my best friends, and he was dyslexic. No way. He's dyslexic. Yeah. And he grew up dyslexic. You know, he, he's a bright guy. Mm -hmm. 
but he had trouble reading and so he got a lot of shit in school and you know he left school in grade six mm-hmm. and uh no i think it was he lost his coat in grade six and his mom asked, he asked his mom for a new coat mom said you gotta buy it you lost it. he said i'm not buying so he never bought another coat get out we went to alberta to play in january and we took him along it was 30 below in edmonton and we walked down the street he had a t-shirt on <laughs> people were looking at him and he was calm as hell and didn't I said, I said, Mother, we're going to Edmonton, for God's sake. He says, I was in Edmonton when you were still drinking out of the bottle, Shieldsy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he never bought the coat because his mother should have bought it. So he refused to buy a coat until he was, like, way, way older than being the Viking. I love it. But, he, you know, they're just legendary story after story. Of course. He's still very, we're still very, very close friends. That's awesome. Um, you know, before we start to kind of wrap it up and we've got some wild questions to ask you, I just, I'm super interested to know the time that you did have, like working in the NBA or seeing the NBA, like what was the difference and how was that experience? It's just, I don't know. It's phenomenal. Cause you know, people can literally do a master's and work with you and, and talk about, basketball it's just it's kind of mind-blowing so there's so many different questions we could go i feel like this could be like a a four-hour four-part episode um but i will hopefully um when things clear up maybe you'll reserve some time for me and hides and phil and uh some uvic guys to have a beer together at uh, a pub in victoria sometime but um like well, how was the transition to the NBA? I mean, you, I mean, you know, you're working with the Australian national team and seeing every high-level player and the Canadian national team, but was there anything different that stood out when you were doing that, or how did that well, go? I went to a bunch yeah. of NBA, NBA training camps. Yeah. And, uh, and then Ron suggested to the coaching staff at uh, at Milwaukee that they bring me in to training camp and so I went in, and uh, I was uh, I was doing well. I had good rapport with the players. I knew my place. I didn't say much, and uh, I blew my Achilles. No way. Yeah. Oh. In the drill. Oh. And so I was done. Oh. And then they they brought me back for the playoffs. First of all, they when they came out to Portland and Seattle, they flew me down and I joined the team. And then I went to Milwaukee for the playoffs. And uh, actually, uh, the head coach still credits me for... We lost to the Pistons in the first playoff game and come into practice the next day. It was... It was uh, I mean... Guys were dragging their asses all over the court. No one energy. Everybody was flat. Coaching staff, we have a meeting with the head coach. Everybody's flat. There's no energy. So I'm not going to say anything. And uh, so after the after the meeting was over, my all the coaches went to their offices. I I circled back to the head coach and I. 
asked him if I could meet with him and he said sure Connie and so I, I said hey I said this place is got no energy mm. he said that meeting was a joke mm. nobody's fired up I said we could beat those guys that you know if we play well we beat them there's no question I said we're gonna have a we're going into a video session I said you got to go into that video session you got to have energy you got to show these guys you believe in them mm -hmm. get them jacked up and get them ready to go out on the court do our stuff and get off and and go to compete tomorrow night and and uh he was he's he he did it mm. exactly like i said and we won the next night and uh he, he credited me for getting his first NBA playoff win. For helping him get his first NBA playoff win. Who was on the Pistons then? Um, oh, who was a famous point guard? Isaiah? No. Um, no? No, no, no. Uh, he's an analyst now. He went Chauncey played, Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sh Yeah. I said Isaiah. I was, was thinking like... He was tough. You could have called me out there, like, come on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Chauncey was, yeah. yeah. Finals was MVP. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. that was the only game we won. <laughs> but no, I enjoyed I enjoy my time there. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, and so before we kind of like, I mean, again, you're an icon, a legend, and, uh, I don't, by the way, what? I, I don't consider myself any icon. Or I know legend. you don't. I know no, you I, don't. Yeah. Got some you, guys are legends in their own mind. Right? No, I know. I know. And you know, <laughs> you know Robbie, I appreciate you. I appreciate those kind words, but you know, I don't see myself that way. But I mean, you know, I've, I've been blessed to meet a lot of great people through the game of basketball and, um, you know, had some success myself and doesn't matter, but it's the people that you meet. And so, you know, I've been really connecting with like Robbie Kinnear. Um, he's loving the podcast. He's one of our top five fans for sure. And, you know, he's just a phenomenal guy and just speaks so highly of you and the generation of players that you had and what he learned from them and the culture and the leadership and, I think just what you are able to create and and allow people to experience and then have them learn and move on with is yeah. So and and and, and I'm not trying to pump your tires and make you feel uncomfortable but it's just it is what it is. You are. Um uh and before we move kind of the next phase, do you is there a, a one more like amazing story that you feel you left out or a shout out for a player or an athlete like you know, it, it's cool to hear that you're already checking in with guys and, you know, you're talking with former players, but... Well, um, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I, I hate to single players out. I, yeah. Because yeah. there's so many have done so many wonderful things. And, of course. And, uh, um, and I was blessed to have the guys that I had, you know, who were so competitive and talented and I mean, we had lots of talent. I mean, you can't win without talent, mm -hmm. but you can have talent and not win. Mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. Coaches are measured by what they get out of their talent. What do, you, yeah. what do you get out of your players? How hard do they play? 
How much do they improve over the course of the season? Yep. And basically, how do they improve as individuals and how does the team improve? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you do your job right, those things will happen. But it's it's you can go across the country and there's coaches who do the same things every year and finish the same way and go to the nationals pee it down their leg <laughs> the teams don't perform and then they go back and do the same thing the next year right they don't get any better teams don't get any better and it's like Einstein's theory of insanity. You keep doing the same things and you expect different results. <laughs> you know, how can you do that? How can at the end of the season you, you can't sit down and say, here's where we were decent, here's where we were terrible, here's where I got to get better, here's where they got to get better, and here's the, we got to get better together. Yeah. And then you got to make a plan and go out and get better. You expect your players to get better over the summer. You got to work hard to get better yourself. And you got to be self-analytical and say, hey, I sucked in these areas. (laughs) I got to get better in these areas. We uh, We had Donnie Horwood on the show as well. And he said the same thing in a different way, just in terms of, you know, going to every clinic he could, going to every pro D opportunity and trying to just constantly improve right like that's yeah you can't just yeah. co- point the finger at your players it's like you're the one creating that so that's good stuff nothing ever happens without passion nothing of significance is ever achieved without passion hmm. passion by the leader passion by the players those people you're working with there you go and it, 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 it can't be fake It's got to be real. It's got to be there every day. Uh, An amazing episode so far here with uh, Coach Shields. Um, There's so many takeaways. Uh, As Corbin and I always like to say, lots of free pro D in here. Um, But we do need to get to the nuts and bolts with Coach Shields and find out really what are his thoughts about ketchup on macaroni. (laughs) <laughs> well, you can't have one without the other. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you're into it. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a uh, it's a heated debate. I'd say it's right down the line, probably fifty fifty. Jay Triano, you know, he threw in like a he likes salsa and sriracha, kind of remixed it. But uh, some people have some strong opinions about it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really appreciated. Uh, when you know when we have chatted here uh, just kind of your humble approach and how you've always put the young men and women that you've had the opportunity to coach um, you know before yourself and and you know you didn't want any of the glory or accolades and and kind of understand that it's about the team Um, and I know this will be a tough question for you to answer but who are some of the greatest maybe people or players that you've had the opportunity to uh, coach Um, I know that your list is so long and that um you know, we always worry about leaving people out, but were there some special people along the way that kind of spurred things for you or still stick to you to this day that you learned from them or? 
Well, I, I uh, obviously I've had some very special people. Um, Eli Pasquale was one. Um, but I hesitate to mention players because our teams were not only made up of uh, really talented players, but also um, blue-collar tough guys who were equally as valuable as the talented guys. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very difficult to, you know, to um, mention any people specifically. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I remember, you know, being younger, you know, when you're playing on teams and you, and sometimes, you know, when you're in your teens, you get caught up in maybe awards, but then as you continue to move forward in sport and realize, especially in a sport like basketball, like you mentioned, where you need, you know, six through 12 are almost maybe even more important than your starters, because if, if they haven't bought into your culture and what you believe, then they can't compete with the best guys. And there's no real room for anybody to grow and improve. So I, you know, we, we've changed things here at the school we used to do kind of mvps but now we just call them like a knight's award right and it's not even really about talent or anything like that it's what did you contribute to the team so i can appreciate that answer for sure well i i really mean it i mean uh, we've we've always had uh we always had uh, competitive tough kids who were maybe they weren't national team players but you know they uh they acquitted themselves with tremendous effort night mm -hmm. after night and day after day in practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a testament to that culture that UVic had during your tenure there was how do you consistently do that year in and year out? Like you have to have uh, a bunch of committed guys, right? So thank you for that answer. Um, if you were, uh, I don't know, do you golf? What do you, what do you like to do in your, in your free time when, uh, when COVID is clear other than obsess over basketball? Well, sometimes I'm on the golf course. I don't know whether you'd actually call it golf. <laughs> you but, have some clubs and balls and you, and you, uh, yeah, you walk around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so then you're on, you hop in the car and you're on your way to the course. What are some, what are some musical preferences for you in terms of artists or what type of music do you listen to? I'm a country Western fan. Ah, okay. Okay. And I go way back to Johnny Cash and Mark uh, Lager and yeah. Johnny Paycheck. Nice. I love it. Yeah, but we, who else was country western? Uh, there's someone else too who's a pretty hardcore country western fan as well. Love it. But I like uh, the Stones too. The Stones, you can't go wrong with the Stones. Yeah. yeah. I remember seeing them. My aunt and uncle took me to the, whatever, the, the IMAX theater and they had that concert. It was unreal. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. It's like cool. you're right on the stage with them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's been the most important person or people in your life? Well, I think uh, I think obviously Kathy has been, I mean, as important as anyone. My, my mm -hmm. parents were were had a huge imprint on me um, and all our uh, members of our family. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter is uh, very important to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh you know, the one thing I've learned through coaching is you need that if, if you are, if you do have a partner, and I mean, obviously 
Kathy is very involved with the game as well, but um, there's so much time that that coaches have to commit to their athletes into the game and you need that support system and that understanding even you know like you say with your daughters right like for them to understand this is who you are and this is what you do so yeah good stuff yeah it's i mean it's i don't ever remember coming home late for dinner and right. having a problem yeah <laughs> even to this day <laughs> Pretty well. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Atta boy. <laughs> uh, just two more questions for you. Um, if you do get the munchies or you're at the grocery store, what, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of chip connoisseurs here on the show, and Corbin and I are big chip guys. So do you have a favorite type of chip, potato chip or nacho chip or cheesy or anything? Uh, I think... Um Probably salt and vinegar chips. Ah, yes. There are many salt and vinegar fans out there as well. Um, <laughs> we just had Kim Smith on the show for the play for the national team and stuff like that, and uh, she couldn't even. I mean, she's 36 and still playing basketball, and she, the only thing she could come up with was that she likes oranges. She didn't even. <laughs> she couldn't even name a bag of chips, and said, "Well, that's probably the difference between you and I, Kim." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, this has been amazing. Uh, you know, I, I, like I mentioned, I grew up, you know, for a few years in Victoria and, and spent a lot of time at, at UVic and, you know, know the culture over there. And, um, you know, you're, you're someone that I've looked up to as a coach as well. Um, and I think someone that a lot of us, you know, try to emulate and want to be like, and we appreciate everything that you've given to the game. Um, but last question before you go would be, if you could do it all again, you would what? I don't think I'd change very much. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I, I was blessed to uh, coach some great players and had some very good teams. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed, I mean, uh, uh, I consider myself blessed to have been able to make a living at something I love doing. Right, right. That's, yeah. Um, there's something to be said for waking up every day to something that doesn't feel like a job, but it is a job, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think mm -hmm. uh, I was always lucky and, you know, to one of the things that uh, I think helped us a great deal was that I said that uh, for our teams that our practices were to prepare us for the last five minutes of the national championship game mm -hmm. against the best team in Canada that we were going to face. And so the intensity level in practice was at that level, last five minutes of a championship game. Right. And um, I think that that uh, was a, a huge part of our, our ability to stay focused and, and bring great intensity over you know day after day after day which is so important right yeah 
And and the fun part for me doing this show and Corbin is we've been able to connect with so many people and um, you know the, many of the UVic alumni that I've start that I've known or have got to know you know the the things that they say about you and just the the things that they learn just from by showing up every single day and being a part of something that's bigger than themselves and the way that they've been able to take those things and use them in their lives um, you know I think it says a lot about you and the culture that you created at the University of Victoria so. Uh, this is an amazing episode. I hope um, I hope many people check it out, and I know they will. Um, any last reflections before we let you go? No, I, th I think I pretty well said what I have to say. Awesome. <laughs> um, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Thanks very much, Aaron. No worries. Well, we are, hopefully, I confirmed with Chris Franklin, we are confirmed for the Gary Taylor Classic, uh, December 16th to 18th. And um, let's hope that everything's clear and that, you know, I, I know I'll see you in the gym at some point and I'll make sure I make a point of coming over and uh, just reintroducing myself. Uh, look forward to it. Right on. Thank you so much. Uh, an amazing episode. Thank you to our sponsors. And what can you say? The Hoops Journey. See you on the next episode.